Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, so it's been a rough week. Not just for me. It's been a rough week. In fact, it's been a rough month for the Lakers and for a Laker fan. LeBron is dinged. His movie sucked. The team's gotten off to a pretty crappy start. And they just found out that their arena is no longer going to be named after an office supply store. And to be honest, I'm not even sure which of those things hurts the worst. It might be the last one, strangely enough. Folks are pretty pissed about a building no longer being named after a place where you buy paper and ink cartridges. But before the Lakers return to the crypt, they've got a five-game road trip that started last night in Milwaukee. And adding insult to all the injuries, the Lakers spent most of the first half just napping it out. Yeah, I know they turned it around the second half, but man, there was some concerning bleep in the first half. Bleep like this. Loses it to Drew Holiday. Here come the Bucks three on one. The one is mellow, and he can't stop Bobby Portis. And now Portis steals the inbounds pass. Gives it back to Drew Holiday. Holiday to Connaughton. Three-pointer. No good. Boy, that would have been a backbreaker for Bobby, the Lakers. Bobby Portis gets the rebound, though. Portis backing in. Uh-oh. Giannis down the Uh-oh. middle. Kick it to Holiday. Three-pointer. No good. Rebound. Portis again. Puts it up and in. Four cracks at one possession. And the Bucks have their biggest lead. Nine points. Lakers. Nice, Alvy. Not one, not two, not three. Four cracks in one possession. My man, John Ireland on the call. Hey, John. Gotta love John Ireland going with an, oh He's right. Listen, I understand that bleep happens. I get that bleep happens. But that bleep can't happen. Not if you're the Lakers. Not if you want anybody to take you seriously as a legitimate contender. I mean, great, Braun's not out there. But that's not the reason that just happened. Hell, I've got no idea how that just happened. But if that's how you're going to start that road trip, I can't wait to see how you finish that road trip. Now, again, it is November. It's not even Thanksgiving. I'm not going to roast the Lakers before I roast a turkey. Hell. What I'm not going to do, though, is go all hot take factory with it and say that Braun is washed and they shouldn't have tried to fix what wasn't broke and that it's going to be somebody's ass because that's what the product is. Ass. I'm not doing that because the only reason you do things like that is because you want people to look at you. So have a take, don't suck. Be real, not fake. I'm not going to make some stone-cold declaration about the Lakers season without at least seeing old Braun step on the floor for more than a few minutes. But what I can say about the Lakers so far is this. They are who we thought they'd be without LeBron. And that's a pretty funky clunky team that does not seem to fit together very well at all and they've only shown flashes of improvement like what I'm getting at is they haven't really proven anything anybody wrong yet if anything they're proving the haters the skeptics the critics right like just a quick check-in for you on the Lakers and I'll get back to this notion of the crypt in a minute people are taking that really badly that it's no longer staples that it's now the crypt I'll double back to that in a minute because last night to me really wasn't about the Lakers and who they are or what they are or who they aren't or what they aren't. Like, if that's all you picked up on last night, you missed out on something pretty cool. I'm talking about the freak. 
The Freak doing what he does best. Freak. Freak to the tune of 47 points, 9 boards, 3 assists, a block, a steal. 18 of 23 from the field, 8 of 11 from the line. Like, that's a reminder of who Giannis is. Steph Curry's been absolutely electric this season. The reigning MVP, the Joker, is better than he's ever been. But the other guy with two MVPs and now a championship ain't chopped liver, right? He's still hell if you're an opposing defense. This dude, Giannis, just kept attacking the rack over and over and over again. And there was nothing LA could do about it other than get the hell out of the way or get put on a freaking poster. Here comes Antetokounmpo. Giannis with that crossover, put his shoulder into AD and expresses himself at the rim. He put his shoulder into AD like I put my shoulder into that camera. And I expressed myself at the camera. The camera. Tell me how my ass taste. There was nothing L.A. could do about it last night because there's nothing anybody can do about Giannis. Just like there was nothing that camera could do about me putting my shoulder down. What I'm saying is this. There isn't a defense that Frank Vogel can call or design that's going to stop a seven-footer with that kind of strength, that kind of mobility, that kind of athleticism, that kind of power, that kind of body control, that kind of an understanding of the game. There's nothing you can do when a train has no brakes and it's coming right at you. Vogues should have gone on Nitsa with it at halftime, telling his guys, hey, 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 shut up. Shut up. Listen to me. Stay off the bleeping tracks. Trains can't stop. He should have rolled up on the whiteboard and started drawing that whole thing up. Hey, 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 AD, these are the tracks. This is you on the track. Here is the train. Here is the train that cannot stop even if it sees you, AD. And then it hits you and drags you and then you're dead. Get the hell off the tracks. Hey, Russ. Russ, click it or tick it. I mean, of course there's a hell of a lot more to this locomotive, though, than him just running downhill. My man was also pulling up and hitting from deep. In this high-scoring affair, 59-53, Giannis with a little get-back. He looks over and says, what you think was going to happen? Exactly. That's the problem with this guy, right? You can't stop him when he's up and down and running downhill. And if this guy is going to catch and shoot it and make it, you got a real problem. You know, it's a great pass one time on target. Hilton kicks it out. One more to Portis. One more to Antetokounmpo in rhythm. Boy, that's the way you draw it up. All right, so if this guy's in attack mode and he's getting to the rack and he's hitting those bombs from deep, there really is not a damn thing you can do about it except shake your damn head as it's happening, then shake his damn hand when it's over because dude is still a damn cheat code. And as long as he's playing like that, the Bucks will be playing into late June once again. Yeah, now I know overall they have not looked apart so far. Part of that, I think, is championship hangover part of that is the fact that they lost five out of eight when Chris Middleton was out with COVID but again as long as Giannis still has that in him and he's doing what he did last night they're going to be a factor the bigger concern is that at some point and we don't need to worry about this just yet but at some point he might be doing it somewhere else not to start anything Bucks fan but how can you not wonder after seeing the comments that dropped to GQ earlier in the week. And I quote, this is Giannis, quote, 
One challenge was to bring a championship here, and we did. It was very hard, but we did. Very, very hard. I just love challenges. What's the next challenge? The next challenge might not be here. End of quote. Wait, what? Uh Uh-oh. Did he just say the next challenge might not be here? All right, he must have then qualified it, right? He must have then explained it, right? He must have walked it right back, right? Nope. He chased it with this, quote, Me and my family chose to stay in this city that we all love and has taken care of us for now. In two years, that might change. I'm being totally honest with you. I'm always honest. End of quote. Again, uh uh-oh. Man, sometimes honesty is not the best policy. Sometimes I'd rather you just lie to me and say, I love it here, man. I'm never leaving. Listen, that all sounded pretty good, right? Right up until the for now. Like he just threw one down on all of Bucks Nation's head. Just as this dude is reaching a new level to his already insane game, he's openly talking about maybe taking his talents someplace else. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Like, if you stop right there and you consider that the article was accompanied by a photo shoot of Giannis on the sand by the water, and it sure didn't look like Lake Michigan, I understand why you might be a little bit concerned, Bucks fan. I get why you might be thinking, well, he got himself a ring. That's all we can ask for, and he's probably going to leave us, especially when he told GQ that winters in Milwaukee are, quote, cold as bleep. Again, Bucks fan. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There is one thing he said that might give you some hope. Quote, I love this city. I love this community. I want to help as much as possible. I think that's all true. In fact, I know it is. He does love the city. He does love the community. He did commit to staying longer. He did win you a championship. I just don't know what's going to come next for this guy. I don't know how long he'll be there. My advice to you, Wisco, enjoy it while it lasts. Enjoy it while it lasts because you got to know nothing lasts forever. And you'll never get another dude like this to play for you ever again. That's not a Milwaukee thing. That's not a Wisconsin thing. That's a Giannis thing. You'll never get another guy like that ever again because another guy like that does not exist. So as long as that guy is giving you everything he's got while he's there, just enjoy him as long as he's there. Because remember, remember, the old gunslinger did not end his career with the Packers. Hell, Aaron Rodgers is not going to end his career with the Packers. Pretty safe to assume Giannis is not going to end his career with the Bucks. Enjoy it while you have it. Yes, it hurts me to say it, but you know I got your back. And even worse, you know what I'm saying is true. Quickly back to you, Laker fan. I know you're concerned, Laker fan, but it could be worse. It could always be worse. It could be so much worse, Laker fan. I mean, have you seen Space Jam 2? Oh, and if the plan was to bring in Westbrook when LeBron is, quote, load managing, that plan's not working. Take everything I said about the Warriors yesterday. The fact that they play team ball, they play with energy, they play hard on defense. Take all of that reverse all of that, and then you have the Lakers right now. It is early. It is early, but my memo to Rob Lowe. Back to the drawing board. Crypt. You know Crypto.com must have ponied up so much jack to get those naming rights. Staples was probably like, wait, 
Wait, how much to renew? How much? Do you have any idea how many reams of multi-use copy paper we need to sell to cover that? Do you have any idea how many desk pad calendars we're going to have to move to cover that? 10 packs of foldable files, boxes with tops. I'm talking boxes of G2 Pilot Premium Gel Roller Black Ink Pens. Hey, by the way, best pen ever made. The only pen that I will ever use, FYI. You could take your Bix someplace else. Not in this studio. Not in this studio. Packs of 3x3 yellow Post-it notes. How many dozens of 8.5x11 wide rule notepads are we going to have to move to cover that? Black ink toners. Hey, by the way, by the way, you want naming rights? You want to cover your naming rights? Probably you only have to sell four black ink toners. Those things are valued more than gold bricks. I had to make a choice. Get more ink for my printer or put my kid through college. It was hard. Trade pros. Ferguson is committed to making business with us the easiest part of your day. Ferguson.com is designed to help run your business from the office to the job site by making your day-to-day activities easier with 24-7 account access, unmatched online inventory, and on-the-go account management. And with our Pro Plus customer loyalty program, you can earn points with every online purchase, redeemable for merchandise, event tickets, trips, and more. Sign up today at Ferguson.com. He is Eric Musselman, E-Muss. What's going on, Eric? How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks so much for having me on. Dude, bring me up to date. So it's been a few months since you and I last spoke. How are you doing? How's the fam? And how does it feel to have the season underway? Well, fam's doing good. Family's good. Uh, you know, we're three games in. We're still trying to figure out who our team is, which which many teams are across college basketball, Jim, with the, with the landscape changing, uh, with so many roster moves. Um, you know, I think you've seen a lot of upsets already this year. There's a, there's a lot more parity, especially early in a season, uh, more so than any college basketball season that I've seen or been a part of. So uh, a lot of teams trying to figure out their identity, trying to figure out who they become, strengths and weaknesses. Um, and you kind of do it on the fly. I mean, college basketball with only allowing uh, two secret scrimmages or two exhibition games, and then you roll right into the regular season. It's it's you know you're you're it, you, like an NBA team with their five exhibition games. We're three games in, and it kind of feels like you know you're still trying to figure out like an NBA team would in their exhibition season what rotations are and so on and so forth. I think that's really well said, and I think that's all fair. Eric Musselman's joining us, and to your point, Eric, about the landscape changing so much. Like last season when it ended, it was clear that you were going to lose six of your top eight scores from last year's Elite Eight team. I'm not sure there's anybody in college basketball who does a better job of managing their roster, but even for you, I could see where that might be something that might be a concern. However, you seem to really embrace it. What was your thought coming into this season about rebuilding on the fly and replacing those players? Yeah, I think, Jr. when you ha- you know, a, a minor league background of, of constantly changing rosters, you've, you've kind of got to try to envision as Ken. And, you know, we've had two uh, – when, when, when you look at your roster, we basically look from year to year. Um, and even when you do that, you know, there can be some, some things that, that happen. For instance, 
you know, Moses Moody, we knew that, that he was a lottery type talent. We didn't know if it would be after year one or year two. He had a great year. And so once the high school class was already gone and Moses, you know, played so well in, uh, in December and January and became a lottery pick, you know, you can't really plan for that. You can envision and think what could happen, but you're, you're wondering, is it going to be after one or is it after two? So that happens after one. The year before, it was Isaiah Joe had made an announcement that he was pulling out of the NBA draft, and then there was a new rule because of COVID and the draft had been pushed back where he actually then the, at the last hour um, decided to go back to the NBA. It worked out for him. He's still with Philly. He was a second-round draft pick. Well, the transfer market that year was all already dried up, so you've really got to try to plan ahead. You've got to try to get the right transfers, um, and you've got to try to build throughout the summer. You know, we're only allowed four hours in the summer, Jim, and you want to do a lot of skill development, player development, but you also have to do a lot of team building off the floor and then get your chemistry right on the floor because, again, it's not just at one particular school. A lot of programs now, mid-majors, low-majors, high-majors, their rosters are constantly fluctuating. Mid-majors and low-majors are losing players to high-major. High-major players that aren't getting their minutes at a power five are transferring down. And so uh, evaluation becomes really, really important when you're doing a year-by-year roster. He must. Joining us on the program, if I have time, must. I'm going to double back and ask you about Moses Moody as a follow. But you were at the forefront of maximizing transfers, and now a lot of other programs are doing this. So now do you feel like maybe you have to zig when everybody else is zagging, and is their value no longer as clear in the transfer market as it was? There's no doubt, Jim. It's, 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 it's interesting because, you know, I've only been at Arkansas. This is going into year three. Uh, at Nevada, f- through four years, we pretty much got the pick of who we wanted in the in the transfer market. Um, you know, we were getting high major guys: Kendall Stevens from Purdue, Cody and Caleb Martin, who are still in the NBA from North Carolina State, Hallis Cook from Iowa State. So we had a lot of high major guys going to Nevada as transfers because we had very little competition. And quite frankly, I thought it made a heck of a lot more sense to recruit somebody for two weeks instead of two years. Uh, Because what happens with the high school market, you have assistant coaches celebrating when you're in the top seven. Well, it really only matters if you get the guy. And so from a time resource standpoint, I thought the transfer market made a ton of sense. Well, what ended up happening once I got to Arkansas, you're in the SEC, you're playing other Power Fives, you're playing SEC. I thought there was a lot of mistakes in the transfer market. And there was a lot of guys that were mid-major players playing in the SEC. And so what we tried to do in year one, we had four really, really good freshmen, Moses being a part of that. And, you know, Jalen Williams started for us, and, and, and Devo Davis started for us last year. So we started three freshmen last year. Um, and then – because the signing period just happened, um, we actually have five incoming freshmen next year, uh, which is a lot because we felt like the transfer market oversaturated, high school market under-recruited. And so, yes, we have changed our philosophy. Two of the three years at Arkansas, we've gone heavy, 
heavy into that high school market. Eric Musselman is joining us. Muss, I was going to go there next, and you led me right to it. I was going to say you are killing it on the recruiting front as well. Your latest class was ranked number two by multiple outlets, so you just laid out why. But why was it so critical to, or how critical is it to keep some of the elite players in the state and then build from there, build from that? Well, yeah, I think that's a, you know, Jim, with any job, I think you've got to dig into the history. It could be a, you know, doesn't even need to be athletics. It could be just a company that has success. You've got to look back. Arkansas basketball's had great success, you know, and you go all the way back to Sidney Moncrief, Marvin Delft, and Ron Brewer Sr., three in-state players uh, that, that, you know, that were incredible uh, for this program. You look at Bobby Portis, and so they've had great in-state players, Daniel Gafford. And so it's really important uh, that you recruit really hard. And that's what we did with, with the four players that were freshmen last year. They were all four in-state guys. And, and Moses kind of spearheaded it. He kind of led that group. They kind of all were waiting on one another. Um, and then this year, it was really, really important for us to, you know, Nick Smith is a, is a top seven player uh, in, the, in the country. And so it was important for us to try to recruit him, land him. Um, and then we got another top 10 player in Jordan Walsh, who's from uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, and, so, and, then, and then some other in-state players uh, that were important to us as well. Um, so, so you do have to look at the history of your program or your organization or your company or whatever and find out how do you have success. And certainly at Arkansas, on the years that you do have high-level talent, you've got to do everything you can to recruit and make sure they have the same vision um, that aligns with you, and then you've got to try to land them. Eric Musselman is the head basketball coach at Arkansas. Muss, let me just take a step back for a minute. Like, And I always say this before you come on and then after you leave, that you and I go way back, that of all the people I've interviewed over the course of my career, you are the person that I go further back with anybody. And then I've got this side hustle to my side hustle called the Reinvention Project because you and I are the same age. I'm, I've talked to you, Eric, thousands of times. You, to me, sound as dialed in, as locked in, as sharp as you ever have. I'm curious, is this the way it feels to you? Do you feel like literally, and you're a two-time NBA head coach, you've had a lot of success in a lot of places, do you feel like your very best is still in front of you and not behind you? And if so, how have you maintained that edge? I don't think there's any doubt, Jim, because you know, I'm fired up to work every single day. Um, you know, it's, it's just interesting because like, we, we come in, we, we were meeting before I jumped on with you about how, you know, what are we going to do creative today? What are we going to do different? Um, how do we improve our defense? Uh, let's let's call uh, the University of Wyoming today because they do a great job defending the three. And right now, um, we're one of the worst teams in the nation in the history of basketball defending the three. So how do we get an edge and get better? Those are some of the things we talk about. And, um, you know, I, I, I just that word reinvent I think is so important, not only career wise, but you know, all, also you know, individually, like how do you continue to evolve? How do you continue to get better? I never thought for a minute, Jim, that I would be so heavily involved in social media. I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I was labeled as uh, old school uh, coach's coach, 
you know, now there's probably a lot of young coaches that are sitting there laughing, thinking, does this guy even know X and O's? He's so into social media. <laughs> well, I'm into social media to try to sell out our building, which we have 20,000. And then I'm trying to, my audience is high school kids. And so if your audience is high school kids, how do you reach them to the best of your ability? And so um, we are constantly evolving and trying to reinvent, trying to become better. I love it. Eric Musselman joining us. So how much of that, Eric, goes to what seems to me, I'm on the outside looking in, but your shoe game, your shoe game is on point right about now. I'm curious, is that a conscious move? Is that your better half advising you? Do you have a guy? You know that whole look good, coach good, coach good, get paid good. You got to reach kids. (laughs) Where are you getting your style inspiration from now? Well, I can tell you there's two people involved. One is uh, Michael Musselman, my son, who's on staff um, and is a heck of a lot younger than me, obviously, in his, in his 20s. And, uh, and my wife, certainly from a stylistic standpoint, would know a lot more than me. But again, Jim, it comes down to, you know, my audience or our audience. And so, you know, last night I wore a pair of shoes that, that had all of our uh, signees uh, for for the for the for the class that's coming up and will be incoming freshmen next year, I had their names on the shoes and um, you know I got stuff coming uh, for we're going to Kansas City for a tournament so I'll have that uh, that tournament's logo on some shoes and um, some really cool stuff that we're putting together to to try to have a different pair of shoes almost every game and. I've never done it before. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 57 coming up here in a few days and, and still trying to figure out how do we stay ahead of all of our competitors. And, you know, last year it was reincarnating NBA pictures where I put on a uniform with a recruit. We, we picked a favorite uh, picture that those guys had liked, meaning the recruit. So I think it's always, hey, how do you have fun? How do you evolve? How do you stay ahead of all other 300-plus universities. Eric, really quickly, so you and I, for so many years, have talked about your dad. Now I've got about 90 seconds. What about Michael? Like, What's the dynamic like between you and him? Did you want him to get experience someplace else, or were you eager to get him on your staff as quickly as possible? Yeah, I think, Jim, just because of, you know, uh, I, you know I, I was a single dad with Michael and his, and, and his brother Matthew, and so certainly lost time when you go through a divorce. Uh, we all know as coaches we lose time. So I selfishly definitely wanted him here. Um, I did tell him, you know, hey, I'll call Coach Thibodeau or some of the NBA people that I know, Scotty Brooks, see if you want to go start in the film room. He made the decision to join us, continue his education at Nevada. Now he's worked into a full-time re- recruiting position, done an incredible job. So you know better than anybody, Jim, having having children the importance of trying to hang out with him as long as you can, but certainly there's going to come a time when he's ready to, to do it on his own. But I'm going to cherish every day I can walk in and say hello to my son while I'm working and competing against high-level SEC programs. Hey, let's take a moment and talk about WinBet, the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. Whether you're playing money lines for NFL Week 11, totals for College Football Week 12, or both, WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for other sports? WinBet has that too. 
It is all right there with your WinBet app. WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards, which means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts. Discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merch. It really is the very best loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you absolutely have got to sign up for WinBet ASAP. Bet with the very best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Give me an honest answer. Is Joe Flacco elite or not? Just kidding. It's a joke. Listen, light the hell up on that. Flacco, as we know, is not elite. But while he's not elite, old Joseph is once again a starting quarterback in the NFL. Damn straight he is. Damn it right. right. You heard that correctly. Old ordinary Joe is once again a starting quarterback because Jets head coach Robert Sala said as much ahead of Sunday's game against Miami. So, Flacco's back. He's under center. He's a starter once again in the NFL. My response to that is, why? Hey, Joe, no offense, but for real, for real. Why? 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 Why are the Jets starting a 36-year-old Joe Flacco? Hey! Seriously, Jets fan. We actually have something we can talk about. Not... Robert Sala wanting to give Rex Ryan the hands, although we can talk about that too some more. But really, why is Joe Flacco starting for the Jets at this point? For who? For what? And yes, I'm well aware that the second overall pick in the draft, Zach Wilson's knee, still has not healed completely. He's not ready to go. Fine. But what happened to the legend that is Mike White? You know, The young lad who had his sights set on the NFL career touchdown mark since he was in high school. Did something happen to that legend? Did something happen to White that I don't know about? Hey, Joe, did you trip him at practice? Something, anything. I need clarity. As much as I would love to see Joe Flacco be Joe Flacco and start again in the NFL... In this particular situation, this makes zero sense to me. Why would you roll out some old dude that you already know exactly what you have in him when you're still trying to figure out what you have in the other younger dude who already gave you a couple of A's and one big fat F? How do you not give White another shot here? In newsflash, they're 2-7. and seven. They've got no shot at the postseason. I mean, technically, they're not eliminated from the playoffs, but we all know legitimately they are eliminated from the playoffs. You're getting worse by the week. You have the worst defense in the NFL. You are literally pacing towards historic ass. And you are undisciplined as hell and barely competitive. So again, my point is, why would you not run Mike White back out there? We're not talking about some high draft pick where you're worried about his confidence getting crushed or his face getting broken. You're not worried about throwing this guy out to the wolves or putting him in the fire and doing long-term damage. Hell, you've already risked all that with Zach Wilson. So why would you not do it with White? You didn't take White number two overall or anything. 
Like, you know what you have in Flacco. Flacco is the same dude who went 0-4 last year for you. The same dude that went 2-6 in Denver the year before when he started. He's the same dude that he's been for the past four years. Actually, he's not even that. He's gone from average Joe Flacco. No, check that. Elite Joe Flacco to average Joe Flacco to below not good Joe Flacco. And now he's 36. There is no future for Flacco in New York. So what we don't know is about Mike White and his future. And yes, I am well aware of the four-interception game against the Bills last week. Yes, I would agree with you. He was, what's the word I'm looking for? Ass. Here's what else I know. He was not that bad in his other two starts. In fact, against Cincinnati, he was damn good. He led the Jets' offense to over 500 yards of total yards, and he beat a pretty good defense. And then he followed that up by playing even better against the Colts before he got hurt. So my question, exactly where is the risk, and what does it hurt in running him back out there? Why wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you want to get this guy every rep possible in a live game? And again, I know. He was horrid against the Bills, but the Mafia does sport the best defense in the NFL right now. So that bleep will happen. The funny thing is that after they turned White inside out and everybody was coming for this guy and everybody was hating on this guy, his coach actually still had his back. Salah had his back. And he had his back against everybody who wanted to end the Mike White era before it even started. This market fascinates me in the sense that, you know, he, he was anointed uh, the next coming after one game and now everyone wants to throw him away. Like, he, he deserves better than that. I, I mean, I get that. I, I agree with that. Oh, and side note, is it me or does this dude seem like he's getting closer and closer to going unit on the New York media? And how great would that be? But the weird thing is, as much sense as that made when he said it, by yesterday, his tone had changed dramatically, and it seemed like now he's agreeing with all the naysayers. But then again, maybe he's not. This is getting confusing now, Rob. I want to be very, very clear on this one. My comments on Monday were because people wanted him out of New York. And what Mike has done in three weeks as a starter has proven to this entire organization and in my opinion to the entire New York fan base that he's a capable quarterback who can play in this league and, and could do a lot of good things. We're more excited about Mike as a quarterback in our future and working with Mike for as many years as possible because of what he's been able to do in his three starts. Oh, all right. Thanks for the clarification. I guess. But if he's all those things, why is Joe Flacco starting instead of him? Like, I'm confused now, Rob. Like, if you're wondering, Mike White is very capable, and they're very excited about him, and he has proven that there is a place for him in that league and maybe as a starter. We're just not going to run him back out there. All right, then, all right. I don't really follow that at all. However, you must feel pretty strongly about old man Flacco and what he brings to it. Am I right, Rob? One of the reasons why we went and got Joe is for the experience part of it. Not only for the playing ability, and, but for the room, but also for situations just like this. You know, Miami's got a, a dynamic coverage system as, as it pertains to defense with zero and all the different coverages they run. And, and Joe's kind of been there, done that, and uh, just kind of a steadying experience that we felt would put us in the best position to win. Hey, listen, man. I know you're a defensive genius. I know you have forgotten more than I could learn in 100 years. 
but I'm sorry. When did the three and seven Miami Dolphins defense become the 85 Bears? I mean, you're really worried about these guys so much that you feel like you need Flacco out there. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking at the numbers. Don't they rank 24th in scoring defense? Don't they rank 29th in total defense? I mean, White just faced three better defenses than the Dolphins have. Look, no, I don't agree that Mike White, I don't agree with Mike White that Mike White should have been the first overall pick in 2018. Nor do I agree with half the stuff that comes flying out of Mike White's pie hole. I don't agree with half the stuff that Mike White says about Mike White. Although if Mike White doesn't believe in Mike White, who will? What I'm saying is give this dude another start. You have nothing to lose by playing this guy. Nothing. 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 But you go ahead and you be the Jets. The only winner here is Joe Flacco. Well, Flacco and potentially the Philadelphia Eagles. Because if you keep running Flacco out there, you could get a better pick. Or they could get a better pick from you. And, hey, Jets fan, like, what if somehow this old guy is able to catch lightning in a bottle? And maybe he does it for a game. Maybe, incredibly, he does it for two games. Then it costs you even more in the form and way of draft stock. Because make no mistake, that's what you're playing for right now. Not the playoffs, but draft position. And after taking a gigantic dump in your pants and winning a few games last year, it cost you Trevor Lawrence. How bad would it suck if you take another dump and it happens again? The J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 same as they always were. I'm not advocating injury. I'm not condoning violence. But somebody in that organization might want to stick their foot out and trip Joe on the way out of the huddle Sunday. Just saying. Why are you not playing white? What do you have to lose by playing this guy? Why are you playing Flacco? Why is Salah backpedaling off of what he said? When he had White's back. Play the phenom. Play the legend. I don't even care that he thinks he's better than Pinky. In fact, I want you to play him for that reason. What do you get out of playing Flacco? You're not playing for anything other than draft position right now. Let's see if the kid gives us another A or another F. I know what I'm getting with Flacco. C minus. Nobody cares. Trade pros, whether you specialize in service or new construction, Ferguson knows firsthand how much work goes into a long day on the job, which is why we're committed to offering the products and solutions to get every job done right. With over a thousand locations, an unmatched selection of specialty products, tools, and supplies, our pro pickup and same or next day delivery, you can trust that doing business with Ferguson will be the easiest part of your hard day's work. Visit ferguson.com to find a counter location near you. One of those guys that I consider a very good friend of the program. It is Sam Amick. What's going on, Sam? How are you? Romy, what's up, brother? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good, dude. Thanks for doing it. So let me start with the Lakers, Sam, obviously. They lost last night. They dropped to 8-7. and seven. 15 games in. That's not a huge sample size. LeBron has certainly missed some time. As you look at them so far, what are your early thoughts and impressions of this particular Lakers squad? I mean, the, the LeBron stuff is huge. You certainly would have thought in his absence that, you know, like Russ has had some moments where he found his way and, and, you know, that ability for him to play would have yielded a little more. This is a guy, as you know, that at his best, you know, was 
getting the as kind of the main guy and and uh with AD by his side you would have thought they could make it work but they still struggled um you know the the parts seem to be mismatched for now uh, you know they knew the entire time making that move in the summer that they described Russ as a a 16 game player versus 82 meaning come playoff time they think this formula will be kind of gelled and, and will finally work but you know, so far, it's obviously a, a mixed bag. So do you think it will? If you had to project, do you think it's going to get much better than it is right now, or is this essentially what it is? I mean, it's title or bust, right? So, like, if the question is, will it work to the tune of a championship, no. My prediction at the moment is I would, I would, I don't know which team I would pick, but I'd go with somebody else. If it's so, Lakers on the field, certainly picking the field. Um, they'll win a lot of games, and, and it's, you know, the cliche that is true about – betting against LeBron being a bad idea. But the other thing here is that, you know, you now have this reality that LeBron has had various injuries multiple times over the course of the past couple of years. So, you know, these are not outliers. And, and the prospect of LeBron having to not only manage minutes but not being superhuman as we felt like he was at different points, uh, you know, before he ran into these things, that 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 element is not going to go away and I think is – is going to be a factor all the way through the year. We were talking to Sam Amick, a senior NBA writer for The Athletic. Sam, you and Andre Iguodala recently had a conversation about the top 75 players in NBA history and where Kyrie Irving ranks on that list. I've always thought that Iggy was one of the more interesting, different guys to talk to. What was it like for you to talk basketball history with him, given who he's played against and with over the course of his entire career? I mean, I loved it. it it's funny. Um the Warriors falling off, so to speak, meaning just from title contention and also Andre going to, it never actually went to Memphis, but Memphis and then Miami being away from the Warriors, you know, that took one of my favorite interview subjects out of my space because when they were rolling and going to the final five straight years, they were, you know, between Andre and Draymond Green, those were the two guys I enjoyed connecting with the most on the Warriors and any conversation with Andre is fun not only because he's a very interesting, smart guy, but because he keeps you on your toes. And, and I tried to write some of that where, you know, we get into the debate about Kyrie Irving and Andre tweeting that he should be top 20 all time. And when I challenged that, you know, he immediately fires back and says, all right, give me your 20. And I'm like, well, I'm not ready with my 20. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, he, yeah, like he's, but, but he, especially at this stage in life, he's 37 um, you know, he's he just kind of matured and seen everything you can see in this league. So always enjoy talking to him, even if I didn't agree with, with all of his opinions. I agree with you. And I had Sam Draymond on this show not long ago for the first time in a, in a moment or two. He was so good. He is still so right. good to talk to. I know exactly what you're talking about. Sam Amick is joining us. Sam, what about the Ben Simmons situation? Like there was a period of time when it was tedious and it was awkward and then it started to look like maybe there was going to be some progress and then roughly one month into the season, it doesn't seem like that anymore. What's it seem like to you right now? How would you characterize that situation right now? So I wrote about it at length today and, you know, the short version of it is I don't see him getting traded anytime soon. Certainly things always heat up at the deadline and who knows what might come the Sixers way. But, you know, the trade prospect is fascinating because what I learned that I didn't know previously was, you know, it's not just a case of the Sixers and Daryl Morey waiting for somebody like Daniel Lillard and, and nobody else will get the job done for a trade. They, they have an internal list of roughly 30 players 
that they would feel good about trading Ben for. It sounds like a big number, but then you got to remember, no, we're talking about guys who we all know are not available. So Steph Curry is on that list and LeBron's on that list. So you get to 30 real quick, but you know, none of those guys are available now. And they have this opinion that within the next year or two, five or 10 of them might break free. All of which is to say, like, this is why their messaging continues to be that it's going to take a while. And they have a long view here. Meanwhile, you got Ben and the question of, is he going to play? And even though his agent, Rich Paul, had mentioned, uh, you know, to Arsham Sharania last week that he just wanted to get him on the floor, when I kind of followed up on that situation, the message I got was that it's not happening anytime soon, if ever, for Philly. So it continues to just be oceans apart. With, uh, with no clarity about how this thing turns out. Sam Amick is joining us. All right, Sam, you laid out kind of the team approach. What do you make of Ben himself? Like, you couldn't play due to a bad back, and then there was the mental health component. What do you make of how Simmons and his team have handled it? I think even they would admit that, you know, the plan that they chose didn't work, and now is backfiring. Now, one thing that I, I just – I think all of us in the media and even fans, you know, should because of the time we're living in, like I'm, I'm not going to question Ben's mental health. We've seen, you know, we've seen him struggle on the floor with elements that seem to be mental about doing his job. So, but, but what the way it's kind of getting framed now is that, listen, mental health was part of this conversation all the way through, but Ben himself was not exactly eager to lead with that, to, to come and say, I'm struggling. I need help. Here's why. So they focused on basketball, you know, the history that he had with the Sixers. They focused on the imperfect fit with Joel Embiid. And and I think they thought that taking that power play approach would accomplish what Ben said he needed, which was a new start. And then when it didn't accomplish that, you had to then essentially, and by the way, when he started losing money, you know, you then had to go to plan B or plan C and you're emphasizing the mental health, and it's, it's a tough sell, um, even if it might be very substantive. Now, the other thing here is that, you know, some folks say, okay, if he gets traded, is his mental health all of a sudden better? And, and I get that, but the bottom line is, like, he's got a lot of complicated history with this group of people and, and doesn't want to work there anymore, but, you know, he's got a contract with $140 million. It's I've never seen a situation like this, Jim. We're talking to Sam Amick. You know, Sam, you and I are not mental health professionals, but I agree with you. It's something that you have to take very seriously. I mean, just from an amateur, amateur's point of view or a layman's point of view, like he's going to face so much pressure and so much scrutiny if, in fact, he does get back on the floor. And then you couple that with the way last season ended and him passing up a dunk late in Game 7 in a really tough town already. I mean, doesn't that seem like a basis for legitimate mental health concerns, him getting back on the floor with that team? Yeah, I think so. But it also – so, okay, let, let's legitimize his struggle and his experience. So then let's go to the team side and say, okay, so what's expected? Are they supposed to just take a bad deal? And, I, and you know, and I don't, I, I don't think my answer is yes. Um, that's why, you know, it will be interesting. Let's say the – February 10th trade deadline comes and goes and there's no deal. I think the conversation at that point will pick up with the players association with the NBA, you know, about possible involvement. There is arbitration coming down the line. The league for now, seems to be fairly hands off that they view this as a situation between Philly and its player. 
and the contract is with the Sixers and, and not directly with the NBA. Um, but but this is new ground. You know what I mean? Like mental health is being handled differently now than with by teams than it was. Like if you go back to 2012, Royce White, you know, speaking his truth about his struggles with the Rockets, ironically with Daryl Morey, there wasn't much infrastructure on the team side to navigate those waters. There does, you know, more exists now. It's certainly imperfect. And now you're seeing the difficulty because if Ben says I'm going to therapy and I'm working my way through it, but it might take me six months, the team is obviously going to get impatient um, because it's not like a broken leg where you can keep checking the x-ray and and just see if it's healed. I think that's all fair. Sam Amick joining us. Sam, before you go, normally I would not necessarily think to jump this onto a list of questions for you, but I'm actually really interested in what's going on in Sacramento. They lost a halftime lead last night. They've lost five of their last six. What is your sense as to where things stand with this team? Not great. They're pretty – the the revelations or the new developments from years past are they're fairly openly, you know, making it clear that getting to the playoffs – is a priority, and the unspoken part is like, and, and the, the failure to do that will certainly cost people their jobs, and first and foremost, Luke Walden, their coach. And, you know, that is new. In the past, the, last year, they kind of looked at it like a, a little bit of a lost year, a gap year, a developmental year, partly because of COVID, partly because they had young guys they were trying to, to get going in the right direction, but they have not been in the playoffs since 2006, Longest streak in the NBA, second longest, I believe, in pro sports, only behind the Mariners, 20-year streak. So it's kind of it's, – it's come time for them to get to the playoffs. And as far as Luke and his situation that we wrote about the other day, um, I think he certainly still could make it to the end of the year, but they've got to avoid long losing streaks. That's the one thing. They lost – they had two nine-game losing streaks last season. And uh, organizationally, I think there's no – kind of tolerance or patience for anything like that happening again Mm, senior nba writer for the athletic he is host of the tampering podcast he is a good friend of the program he is sam amick sam i appreciate you and the relationship as always thanks so much for doing that sam thanks Romy. be good hey listen up when you want to find amazing rates organize your finances or simply make smarter money decisions lending tree is here for you with the lending tree app you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and saving and build a budget that works for you you can monitor your credit score you can explore ways to improve your credit you can get automatic alerts to protect your identity and lending tree can help make sure that you are getting your very best deal on loans insurance credit cards and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. Plus, LendingTree gives you personalized tips and insights in to help you save money and reach all your financial dreams. So whether you want to pay off a debt, buy a home, build credit, or simply make things a little easier, LendingTree has your back for all your short and long-term goals. And best of all, there are no subscriptions, there are no fees, there is no hassle. Just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. So download the free LendingTree app right now and get started. Then see why thousands, thousands of people turn to LendingTree every day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply. NMLS number 1136. Let's keep it positive. The glass is half full. Good vibes, good energy, positive, upbeat story. There is a massive NBA story. 
And it's taking place in Miami. And somehow, someway, it's actually under the radar for many of you. Off the grid for many of you. And I can't believe that, personally. I can't believe that everybody is not talking about this. Everybody needs to get their head out their ass right now. Because the icon that is UD is getting run. Legitimate run. That's right. Udonis the Jungle Dadonis? He looks like a Dadonis. Udonis the Dadonis? He looks like a Dadonis. Is seeing the floor. He's getting minutes with the Heat. The 41-year-old legend. He might not be playing big minutes, but he is playing minutes nonetheless. And some minutes are a hell of a lot more than no minutes. Last night, he checked in for seven minutes of the Heat's beatdown of the pathetic Pelicans. And of course, it was the best seven minutes of that game. It was also the fourth time already this season that he had seen the court. Remember, we only saw him once all of last year. Only once for three minutes in the final week of the season. Of course, they were three of the best minutes of the entire season. Three minutes that were absolutely epic. They were one of the highlights of the entire NBA season. Those three minutes. A season where UD only played a total of three minutes. But who will ever forget those three minutes? And a foul is called on Haslam. And now Haslam's having words with Dwight Howard. I'm loving this right now. Oh, Uh-oh. here we go. Haslam pointing Uh-oh. the finger may have made contact. He talked about his toughness before. See, first of all, Howard throws him to the ground here. And now here's the words between Haslam, and there's the point. May have been contact, yeah. Yep. He's Tossed. gone. They, they ejected him. Legend. you imagine this guy doing all the right things all season long, being there for his teammates, being there for the coaches, being there at practice, kind of enforcing the code, reinforcing the culture that the Heat are so famous for, and never, ever complaining? always keeping himself ready, finally getting into a game, last game of the year, for three minutes, and wanting to go with Dwight Howard. One of the most awesome things I've ever seen. So after those three amazing minutes, maybe the three most important minutes in the history of the association, the Heat bring him back. Hell yes, they brought him back. In fact, what they actually said was, and if these aren't the exact words, it certainly was intimated This guy can stay however long he wants. Like, you know how one guy, no one guy is ever bigger than the team? This guy might be. UD can stay as long as he wants. And that's the right answer. Good job by Riles. Good job by Spo. If anybody earned a lifetime contract, it's this dude. But clearly, Spo's not just bringing this guy around to be some kind of figurehead or some kind of mascot or some kind of glorified assistant. Spo knows what he's doing. He thought about UD's role in the offseason and realized, man, I've got a living legend on my bench. I've got to get this guy some minutes. I've got to get this guy some run. Fast forward to November. We're 15 games into Miami season. He has already checked in four times. Last night's seven minutes were by far the most so far and by far the best. What did he do with those seven minutes? See, that's the greatest thing about Haslam. You know that if he's in for one minute, he's going to max that minute. You know if he's in for seven minutes, it's practically a lifetime. He stole the show in those seven minutes. Let's check out that stat line. 
Here's what this guy did. Ask yourself, are you maximizing every day? Are you living every day, every hour to its fullest? My man, you Diaz. Look what he did in seven minutes. Two points on one-on-one shooting. Three boards, an assist, a block, two fouls, and he was plus 12. Plus 12 in seven minutes. That's a 41-year-old dude walking onto an NBA floor and then setting that thing on fire. And the highlight of the night, the highlight of the entire game, was that one block. The one block was a rim rejection. Trey Murphy had the audacity to try to test the legend, to try to go up over UD. And you know UD was ready for that. He was here for that. And you know what he said, get that bleep the hell out of here. Trey Murphy, denied! Udonis, you just did it! This place buzzing over the last block by Udonis. Vincent, kaboom! A game that has turned. A game that has turned. And when did it turn? When the big fella was protecting the rim. Seven UD minutes lit that entire joint up. And then UD went out to the postgame podium. And he kept the flames coming. He wanted to make something very, very clear. He's not here for your old man talk. He's not here for your grandpa jokes. He's not here for a participation trophy. He's not here to be a mascot or a figurehead. He wants all the idiots on social media to know that he can still ball and he can still do it at a high level. It's good to go out there and be able to play the game of basketball. I think everybody's so critical. You know, every time I make a mistake, it's his age. Anybody can trip. A five-year-old can trip. A six-year-old can trip. But if a 40-year-old trips, he's old. So, you know, for me, it's funny. But at the same time, I tell people all the time, as long as I stay healthy, you know, I can still play this game. You know, my body is key right now, but my mind still moves at a, at a, at a rapid pace. Um, I'm ahead of the plays. I can get to charges. I can get to, re, you know, recovery. I can switch pick and rolls and stay in front of the ball. For me, it's just about health at this stage of the game. My man nailed that. He's so right. A 40-year-old trip since, like, yo, man, he is so old. Yeah, but nobody says that when a five-year-old trips or a 10-year-old trips or a 20-year-old trips. I think you're all tripping if you don't get this guy. He's right. He is healthy. He is sharp mentally. He wants to be out there. And believe me, this guy's not out there hanging on to pull a check. This is an extremely fierce, proud individual. If he thought he was doing anything to hurt his team or if he thought that he could not help them, there's no way in hell he'd be out there. So he's not just there to participate. He's a contributor. This guy's no sideshow. He's not there to be a sideshow. Like, he's happy that we're happy whenever he gets into the game. But that's not the lift that he's looking to provide. This dude is a winner, and he's trying to win. I want the emotional lift to come from my actions. You know, what I do on the basketball court, and I don't want it to come from the crowd cheering just because I checked in. You know, I can check in and be a minus 50. The crowd's still going to cheer. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to contribute to wins. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, you know, want just the burst to be just because UD checked in. UD still has a job, and when I step on the basketball court, my job is to help us win games and contribute. I love it, man. The oldest of the old school. This is when, when they talk about that so-called amazing Miami Heat culture, that's what they're talking about. This guy's not like, hey, man, I'm not the 14th guy at the end of the bench that you chant for in a 30-point blowout so I can jack one up. No, no, I'm here to help this team win. I'm here to make plays. I'm here to make a difference. So you know me, I don't play favorites, but I couldn't possibly be more any more into this than I am. 
physically, I hope this guy's body holds up. And you know he's doing everything he possibly can. It's just that father time is a mother bleeper. But this guy's putting in the time. He's doing the work. Look at him. So physically, I hope he holds up. Mentally, I know he's right. Spo, keep calling this dude's number. Keep running this guy out there. Man, make it an every night thing. I'm not saying you got to get him 30 minutes every single night. I'm saying you got to get him 7 to 10 to 12 minutes every single night. The guy was plus 12 in seven minutes. He makes plays, winning plays. He makes guys around him better. You let this guy stay as long as he wants, run as long as he wants, and then when he's done running, you show him Pat Riley's office and you move him in there. Hand him the keys. Get a grip. We are joined right now by Pat Narduzzi. Pat, what's going on? It's good to have you back. How are things? Hey, Jim. How are you doing? It's great to be on today. Appreciate you having me on. Well, it's good to have you back, Pat. Thanks so much. You are in the top 20. You're in first in your division. You've got a Heisman candidate at quarterback. So bottom line things for me. How is life for you right now? And what is the vibe like around the program? You know, the vibe around the program is great. I mean, we've got a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback who I think is the best quarterback in the country. I'll throw that out on your show. We've got a you know semifinals for the Blitnikoff and Jordan Addison at receiver, and I think we got a you know a young safety uh, you know Brandon Hill who's also a finalist for the uh, Thorpe. Um, so um, again, I should say it's final semi whatever uh, that finalist is, but he's at least on the Thorpe watch list, I guess. Um, so things are great in Pittsburgh. You know we're getting cranked up for another one this weekend. Um, and uh, we, we had fun last week uh, on a Thursday night at North Carolina, and, and uh, we're looking forward to the Cavaliers coming into Pittsburgh. Pat Narduzzi is my guest. All right, Pat, you talked about your quarterback and him being the best quarterback in the nation right now, Kenny Pickett. Let me ask you, what separates him from all the other great quarterbacks in the nation? You know, I think, you know, um, I, I think the first thing is maturity. Um, there's a lot of quarterbacks out there that I just don't think can do what he does. I, you know, I don't – he, he comes from a pro-style offense, so when I think, you know, best quarterbacks, I think about the, the, the quarterback that's going to be the guy in the future to, to start in the NFL and be a guy that can, you know, can win a Super Bowl with somebody. That's what I see is, you know, there's a lot of times there's great quarterbacks that run for a lot of yards and throw for a lot of yards, and you know, a lot of it's RPOs. You know, there hasn't been one RPO. It's, it's this guy's handing the ball off or he's, or he's dropping back like a pro quarterback has to do. And you talk about ready-made for the NFL – he actually knows how to take a snap under center. It's not all shotgun. So it's not a, I don't want to call it, you know, gimmick offenses out there, but it's not, you know, Lyman running down three, four, five yards down the field and throwing passes. Uh, that's not where he's getting his work done. He's a drop back, read the coverage. Um, again, pro-style quarterback is what I see, and but but athletic enough to be, uh, a guy can beat you with his feet. Right, Pat. And then all the other intangibles, for instance, everything you just said, but I had him on the program earlier this season. Man, there is so much to like about his game and his poise, his composure, his ability to lead from the front. When did you first realize that you had a chance or had something in him that was going to be very special? You know, we knew it in his freshman year, okay? And you're going to say, oh, you know, come on now, okay? He was a scouting quarterback. I thought he was special, Okay. Uh, we've got another special quarterback on the scout field, I thought, this year as well, but uh, won't get into him. But I thought he was a special quarterback as a freshman, and I'll take you back a little bit here, and I don't want to get long-winded because uh, I know we only have so much time here, but um, in Kenny's freshman year, he's on scout field. We go play at Syracuse. He travels, of course, with us. Um, and uh, Max Brown, our starting quarterback, goes down, dislocates his shoulder, 
And I went out there to see him, Jim, and, and, you know, like you do every player that goes down on the field, you run out there going, hope I, you know, hope it's not bad. And I get out there, I look down, his dislocated shoulder, I'm looking at him, he's, he's wincing, uh, he's not feeling good. And at that point right then, I said, Kenny Pickett's going to have to play. We were trying to get through and redshirt him, put him on a scout field, let him grow up and, and, uh, in a natural way, not try to have to push him to action. He wasn't the first quarterback in that day. Uh, we had another backup. I won't mention his name, but I just knew he wasn't the guy, and I knew Kenny was the guy. So we knew back then that's a true story, and people kind of criticized me uh, after the game because I played another quarterback after that, Kenny Pickett, through the last pass of the game. And they're like, you put him in for one play, you blew his red shirt. Um, uh, and again, the rules back then weren't you know four games like they are now. So, uh, but my plans all along were you know when I went out there to see Max Brown that you know, I knew Kenny Pickett was going to have to play, and I knew he was special at that time. You knew what you had. Pat Narduzzi is joining us now again, and you mentioned this, Pat. It's not just Pickett who's having a huge year. Earlier this week, he dropped by the receivers' room to tell Jordan Addison to call his mom. For those who do not know, what was that all about? Um, yeah, so. <laughs> I got the word right. I, you know, I usually have a weekly uh, Monday noon press conference, so um, probably five minutes before you know, my press conference, um, our sports information guy says, "Hey, um, you know, he's a, he's a semifinalist for the the Belitnikoff Award. Jordan Addison is." So I was like, "Wow!" So I called his mother Keisha, who is just the sweetest lady in the world, um, and and told her and said, "Hey, you know, do you want me to?" call him or and tell him or do you want to tell him she goes you know uh maybe you and i said you know what i think you need to do it so so anyway so mom was going to call him so as i'm walking down the hallway to my press conference i walked by the receiver room and he's in there so i kind of popped in there probably being late for my new meeting and said hey jordan i said hey, did did your mom call you have you talked to your mom and he goes she called me but i'm, I'm watching film you know i was like listen your mother calls you answer the phone so i said call her back right now okay so he called her back and he got the information um, you know, from her as, as uh, she gathered you know, his brothers and sisters on the phone at the same time. He wanted to have, you know, she wanted to have everybody on the phone to, uh, together and tell him. So it was, a, it was a special moment. So let me ask you this, Pat. I would imagine, I'm not there, but I would imagine he probably took that in stride. It did not change expression. Like, did you even, could you even tell that he was receiving good news? No, not at all. Um, not at all, because I was, you know, I asked him actually last night. He said, "By the way, when I, you know, left you in that room, like he did, you know, when I gave you a fist bump because I had to go to the press conference, did you already know at that point?" He said, "Yeah," and but but that's that's who he is, Jim. He's a he's a just a laid back, you know, just do my job. You know, we we talk around here about list guys. The guys are on list. Miss study hall. Miss this. Late for this. You know, uh, you know, Mister Tudor. You know, whatever it may be. We we try to chart everything. And Jordan Addison is just uh, as great a kid and football player. Uh, I mean, just like there's no issues with him. It's like it's so refreshing in this day and age to have a guy that's usually sometimes your you know your best players are the most high maintenance. He is low maintenance, uh, special, and he didn't really care. He's just like you know it, it just doesn't matter to him. It doesn't phase him. Pat Narduzzi is my guest. Pat, I wonder, like, Ed, that's a coach's dream, right? When one of your best players has got that kind of approach, that kind of process, that kind of mentality. Is it contagious? Does it rub off on other guys? I mean, you certainly hope so, but does it? You know, not, no, yeah. I don't think so. I agree. You know, I, I'm with uh, you on that. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I agree. It really doesn't. I wish I could tell you it did. Maybe, maybe it's one or two. Uh, maybe there's one guy or two guys that would have gone, you know, a, a different direction. Uh, but it certainly doesn't bring everybody in there. But I, I know this when, you know, 
when you talk about an example of, hey, you can be a great player and not have to, you know, show everybody. You can score a touchdown and hand them all to the official and do it the right way as opposed to having to have a dance and do this and do that. You know, Jordan's that type of guy. You tell him, you tell him one time and he does it, and that's why he's a great player. You tell him, you know, run fast and, and, and plan off your eighth step and, and, and take a left, and he's going to do it exactly the way you ask him to do it. And he's, he's you know, he's, he's what coaching is all about. He's fun. All right, so you've got Virginia coming to your place on Saturday, and you've got a chance to win the division with a win on Saturday. I would ask you if that feels stressful, but knowing you a little bit, Pat, I, I know they're going to tell me no, but let me ask you this. like, How do you look at stress? What do you do with stress? And what do you want your players to do with it and view it? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. People have been talking about this lately, but, you know, we talk about there's, you know, there's stress and there's pressure, and, you know, stress is bad, and to me, stress is when you aren't prepared. Um, pressure is there's always, there's pressure. There's pressure throws, pressure you know blitzes, whatever it may be. But you know when you're prepared for a game mentally and physically, there is no stress. I mean you you, you know you'll get butterflies before a game just like but like I'm never you know stressed out. You you feel a pressure of a big game or a game and all games are you know you know I don't care if we played New Hampshire, we beat them 77 to nothing. We're 77 to seven earlier in the season, but you know what? I was as, as prepared for that game as any of them, but you're still going, you know, we can walk out here and lose this football game too, and you would think you'd walk into that game feeling really confident, like we're going to kill these guys, but it's not like that. Um, so I think you, you approach every game the same, and, and again, stress and pressure, you know, pressure, you put it this way, Jim, you're, you're taking a test when you were back in, back in college. Remember you taking that test that you weren't prepared for? And you, you didn't study for, you didn't know what the heck you were doing. You walked in there, you're like, oh, God, this ain't going to be a good day. That's stress, okay? But when you walk into that English class or that math class and you know what you're doing and you know what's the content, you know how to line up, you know, you know what coverages are going to run, there's, there's no stress. So preparation is, is the stress killer. Preparation breeds confidence. And, Pat, you have no idea how much that analogy you just made resonates with me. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because my listeners know this story. But I'm a guy in his 50s now, Pat, and I still have reoccurring nightmares of that very test you're talking about in college because I was not prepared. They don't come as often as they used to, but I'm telling you, Pat, I, I get this. And I'm not even laughing because it, it's real. Every time I have it that dream, real. Pat, it's real that I had knock on the class all quarter. I didn't know where to find the professor. I didn't know what the office hours were. And it's because of what you said. I was not prepared. There's no doubt about it. I, you know, when I laugh, it's because it's so, hey, I think I have still nightmares sometimes about like uh, like I'm back in college and I'm not ready for that test. Yes, and, right. And uh, and that's why you've been a huge success because you have you know again you you find a way to get it done and um, but you've prepared the rest of your life and you know and you were probably more prepared but not as prepared as you wanted to be. That's exactly it. I mean, how much more successful might I have been if I had actually prepared for those tests? <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. Listen, I mentioned it off the top. Pat, it's hard to imagine, but you are in your seventh year already with that program. Time flies, and it feels like it was just yesterday that you got that job. When you look back on where things were when you arrived and where they are right now and how much the program has grown, what kind of thoughts do you have and how much pride do you have in it? You know, I have a ton of pride. You know, there's a reason I came here. It is really hard to believe that you've been here seven years. You know, that doesn't happen in coaching anymore. Usually it's three and you're gone, whether you get fired or or you you take another job. So I'm blessed to be here. It's a great university. Um, you know, we do a great job coaching, and we do a lot of details. Um, you know, we, we have the opportunities every week to watch other games. Like, you know, last week, beating North Carolina, we had a, you know, well, put it this way, Virginia, you know, we've got a four-game breakdown on them. We've played Bronco four times, you know. 
Um, you know, Fuente, you know, who's now gone at, at Virginia Tech, great person, great coach. Um, but we had a you know five-year breakdown. So when I say a five-year breakdown, we get to go back and watch five years worth of you know we we have a cut-up just meant to that. What do they like against us? You know, when you talk game plans, sometimes you're looking at game plans and they might like this past concept against one team, but they don't like it against another. You know, but I think you know based on your style of offense or defense, teams are going to try to defend you the same way. If they thought. How, you know, if you know Bronco defended us back in 2019 was the last time we played them in the opener, but they defended us that day. There are going to be some similarities to how they defended the same type of offense and the same type of defense. So, um, you know, so there's similarities. So you get to go back and look at those things. So, to, to answer your question about the development of the PIP program, I go back and look at some of these old school, and I'm watching like my first year, 2015, and I'm watching our players on the field, and I look and I'm like, wow, we are a lot better. You know, we know what we're doing. We look different. We play different. It's real. And uh, this this program is on the rise, Jim. Um, you know, we had seven guys drafted last year. We got, you know, we'll have at least four guys go to the Senior Bowl this year. Um, it's not stopping. We're just continuing to do a great job recruiting players. We do a great job developing players. And um, this place is a gold mine. We've won nine national championships. We got 25 first rounders um, and, uh, and and nine Hall of Famers. And um, you know, Jimbo Covert being the last one who was inducted this last summer. But there's going to be plenty more with Larry Fitzgerald and LaShawn McCoy, and, and, and you, you keep going and going. Damn, Pat, I wish I had eligibility and talent. I love that. Listen, one last thought, and part of this is about you, though. Now, you played linebacker. You came up on the defensive side of the ball, but the story goes that last year you started going to offensive meetings. You told the athletic, quote, I'm no offensive guru, but this is about being in there, knowing and having input and putting ideas out there. Why was that important to you, and how valuable is that time spent in the offensive meetings? Well, it's just, you know, it's just being more aware. And, again, you know, Coach Whipple does a great job. But, like, I'm a defensive guy, so I understand tendencies and I understand, you know, what we're looking at. So I just wanted to be more involved and I got involved in, the, in uh, really in the offseason. Really started getting a little bit involved, Jim, uh, last week and last year in our open week of just making sure, you know, we we're, you know, formationally doing the right things out of it and, and just saying, hey, this formation here, all we do is run out of it, and this one we pass out of it. So I just tried to – you know, at least look at it from a defensive perspective about what we look at um, and, and try to put it together. We did that at the end of the year and then, you know, watched offseason cut-ups about what we needed to do. We've cut down our run game as far as how many different concepts we're doing. What are we doing? What are we doing well? Let's get rid of the ones we don't need. And I think our offense has done an outstanding job of just, and again, I didn't do anything. I'm just, like you said, a dumb, dumb defensive guy. Um, I said you were a defensive guy. I did not say you were a detail. dumb defensive guy, Pat. I, I say I'm a dumb defensive guy. All right. Guy. No, I, I actually love that. And one last thought. You mentioned the, the great, great tradition of this program. The NFLers that you mentioned, are they good about coming back? Yes, they sure are. I mean, Aaron Donald was back this week lifting here because you know, they were open this week. Uh, they all come back. I mean, LaShawn McCoy's come back. Uh, Deion Lewis has been back. They all come back. Larry Fitzgerald's been back. Um, I mean, Tony Dorsett comes back all the time. Dan Marino, uh, last time I mean, he, he comes back all the time. We golf every summer together. Um, you know, he was down when we were, you know, clinching last year, two years ago, uh, the Wake Forest game, we went down and beat Wake Forest to, to clinch the coastal division of the ACC. He was in that locker room afterwards with Jimbo Covert and, um, you know, so they, they, they all come back. That's the other beautiful thing about it. Not only do they come back, they give back. And a lot of those former NFL players don't really give back in a lot of places. I'm trying to let you go, Pat, but one last thought. Like Aaron Donald coming back on a bye week and lifting is absolutely incredible. How do the guys, how do the players respond when they see a legend <laughs> like that just throwing the weights around? 
you know, Aaron Donald, I mean, you know how long he's been in the NFL. He's a real guy. He's got a locker in our locker room. Um, our guys love when Aaron comes back. He lives, I mean, he's here all summer. He lives here in Pittsburgh. He's got a home in Pittsburgh. He grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, and he's back. Our, our players love it. I mean, it's just like and you watch his work ethic. Our guys learn as much from Aaron Donald and what he does and how he acts uh, when he's in the summer. You know, he held out, I want to say, you know, not last year, the year before, you know, prior to COVID, but he was a holdout in camp and was here almost all of our training camp, it seemed like. I mean, he was here every day during double double sessions out on the field watching and, and, uh, and being around our kids. So he's an incredible person. And I might add, Aaron Donald, you know, is as young as his NFL uh, career has been as successful as it's been has already given back a six-figure um, um, amount to the University of Pittsburgh so uh, he's he's special in many ways that is so great Pat I want to say this from me to you I really appreciate you I normally don't want to keep a guest as long as I kept you but the reason I did that you're a rare guest I mean you're somebody who's locked in your energy is great your passion is apparent you're not giving me cliches I mean that that is such a great conversation that you and I have and I always look forward to it Pat so I want you to know that and I want you to know how much I appreciate it Hey Jim, I appreciate that, and uh, my phone is always open. So you want to you want to talk, you want to have a good conversation. Bring Pat Narduzzi on and, and the Pit Panthers, okay, Jim? Good night now.